Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Talent Playbook Podcast. My name is Jason Ferrara. I'm the Chief Marketing and Strategy Officer at Outmatch and your host for the podcast. Our podcast focuses on strategies for transforming your world of work. So during each podcast, we'll highlight someone who's transformed their organization or their industry in some significant way. Today's guest is Julie Nelson, the owner and CEO of Meeting Muse, an event planning company. I really enjoyed my conversation with Julie as I usually do. I know her because we've used her before at Outmatch to plan meetings, but she really outlines some things I didn't know about her in this podcast. You know, the first thing that struck me was just her concept of street smarts and how important street smarts are for her business and really applying to anyone's business. The fact that meeting planning is highly relationship driven. Most of her employees are contractors, so these relationships are very important. She talks about how she's had 10,000 hours, you know, the Malcolm Gladwell maxim of 10,000 hours uh, makes you an expert in some area. So she talks a lot about that. I, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, I also thought her take on the ROI of events was incredibly interesting. Um, for her, more of a of a feeling of an experience, a brand experience, than it is necessarily of hard numbers. I think that will cause some conversation as you think about how do you measure your events. And then, you know, she's really big on learning every day. This is really important to um, have your eyes open, your ears open, be willing to learn and listen. One of one of the great lessons, I think, from her. So without further delay, enjoy Julie Nelson, CEO of Meeting Muse. Hey, Julie, thanks for being on the podcast today. I'm really excited about our conversation. I appreciate you spending the time. I am so excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So what I thought we should do is start by just having you give a quick description of your business, Meeting Muse. Um, I don't think all our listeners will know what Meeting Muse is, so I think it would be nice just to hear your description of the business. Sure. Well, um, really, Jason, Meeting Muse is a meeting and event planning company, and what does that mean? There are people that don't understand what a meeting and event planning company do, but basically, um, I help my clients bring calm and order to their meetings and events, and um, really just provide the security of, uh, there's a lot of contractors you need to bring on, there's a lot of vendors you need to sign with. Um, so just a lot of security in signing contracts, um, making sure that um, you know we're doing the right thing financially, getting the best bang for our buck. Um, a lot of the times, um, you know, somebody internally might take on planning a meeting and then they've never done it before and actually wind up spending a lot more internal resources and money um, in order to get it accomplished. And um, what we do is really uh, look at the big picture and really put something together for our clients that is the best ROI for their conference. And um, so it's it's uh, a great uh, 
little niche and um, my business has been around for 15 years and um, I've always been in the hospitality industry. Um, so that's it. Great. Yeah, thanks. I um, a couple things I want to follow up on. Um, first, <laughs> I, I would ask, how did you get so you've always been in the hospitality industry, but how did you get started in in meeting and event planning? Oh, okay. Um, so uh, out of the, in the hotel business, when I was really, really young, um, I had a girlfriend that um, worked with me in hotels and she went off on her own and actually started a meeting and event planning company. Um, she had, she was in sales. I was in operations and, um, she had a few clients that, um, or few clients in the hotel that basically, you know, said, Hey, you'd be really good at event planning. And, um, we want you to be an event planner if you ever think about leaving. So she did, she left her position in the hotel business and she became, um, a third party planner basically for high tech companies. And um, at the time I was a stay home mom and um, she asked me to uh, work with her. So it was right when dial up, you know, was a thing. Mm -hmm. I do remember <laughs> and I that. Was, <laughs> you know, yeah. And so I was able to work from Dallas and she was able to work from Nashville and um, she and I, um, were really productive together and we knew each other from the hotel business. We worked together in California and um, it was just really cool. So that was my first experience. So I was contracting to another event planner. Um, and the first program that I actually did was 3,500 people um, in Las Vegas. <laughs> That's a big so, meeting for the first meeting. Yeah. And to be quite honest with you, I didn't know what the heck I was doing, but I did it. And, um, you know, it, with, with this type of career, you got to be really street smart um, to get some stuff done. And I really um, flexed my street smarts on that program. And I was really proud of what I did. So after that, I kind of got addicted to it. And I did more contract with her, but um, I also did a lot of contract work with other meeting and event planners as well. And then eventually formed my own business uh, through friends in the community and business leaders. So you, you mentioned being street smart. So um, d define what you think that means and then tell us how, you know, you develop those, those street smarts. Hmm. Good question. Um, really to me, street smart is, um, knowing the appropriate fix for the situation and, um, knowing how it's going to, the, the, there's a consequence to every choice and really quickly evaluating the consequences and making the best decision that you can on site. So on site, when a program goes live, we do the planning from A to Z. And the most important part of our, our role, I really feel is on site. Cause that's when all the, the plans that you've planned out on paper can go wrong. So really it's about the fix when you're on site and that's where your street smarts come in. You gotta be quick on your feet to make sure you can deliver a great program. It might not be exactly to the script that you wrote for it, but 
uh, is going to go off of that script and um, just being quick on your feet. One time I literally had a keynote speaker um, with a hundred people in the audience. Um, he basically had an anxiety attack on stage and excused himself from the stage. Ooh. And uh, everyone was there for the event right. and the crowd got pretty calm, like, holy cow. I literally jumped into action and I, in my head, I knew actually knew all the attendees in the audience. Yeah. And, um, and uh, I knew a, of a couple of them that actually were trying to perfect their skill at keynote speaking. <laughs> not kidding you and I literally went straight to this guy and said listen I'm gonna need you to handle up here you're going on the stage in five minutes I'm gonna get on the microphone and tell everyone the bars open you get ready and you're gonna perfect that speech you were telling me about and he literally delivered and everyone gave him a huge review but that is street smart you know Great like story. holy hell what do we do and you know everyone's just looking at me <laughs> so uh, i hope a, that answers the question <laughs> yeah that's a, that's a great story I, I, now have you always been like that your whole life you know where, when you were when you were yeah. a kid were you able to pull off stuff yeah. like that too yeah pretty much um i wasn't um the one getting the a's in school but i was always the first in line <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, um, but no, um, I'm the third, I'm the baby of the family. And I think that has a lot to do with it. I think, you know, by then, God bless my parents. They were both full-time working folks and, um, you know, being the third, you know, eventually all the, uh, you know, time gets, you know, consumed by just daily life with your parents. And I taught myself a lot you know i remember you know just teaching myself how to ride a bike you know um in the yeah. summer because my parents were at work and i wanted to know how to ride a bike and um i went up and down a fence post and um balanced on the fence post and um figured it out that night my mom and dad got home and i remember my mom and dad picking a gazillion splinters out of my arm but <laughs> um you know, just kind of, um, I guess I've always been that way. Just really, um, I'm very curious person, um, by nature. So I, I really enjoy figuring things out. Um, well, that's, that's so. great. Yeah. I, I, you know, full disclosure for our audience, you and I have worked together on a, on, on a couple of meetings and just based on your description right there, it's, it's very accurate of your personality. I mean, you, you do really jump in, you are very curious and, and you do give off um, this entrepreneurial, you know, self-taught vibe that is, that's really fun and infectious to be a part of. So I, you know, you're very, you're very self-aware when it comes to that. That was a great, just me knowing you, that was a great, a great answer to that <laughs> question. Um, so Thanks. this, this podcast is, is called the talent playbook. So I, I want to get, I want to get back to of talent and, and your, um, your organization specifically, and then the things you've seen in, in other organizations. But before I do, I want to go back to a comment you made earlier about helping your clients understand or achieve the ROI in their event. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just going to make an assumption that many people don't think in terms of event ROI. 
So help me understand what event ROI is and how you work with your clients around that. Well, event ROI to me and most people in the event planning industry is not a number um, because it's incredibly difficult to figure out a number uh, based on your events. Um, ROI is that experience that you provide. So for Outmatch, you guys do a great um, uh, client conference and um, the ROI on your client conference is basically that, you know, you are loving your clients up. You know, you're investing in your clients. You are getting them together. You're getting them out of their office space. You're getting them with other like-minded people in their fields um, or not. Uh, but, you know, they all have something in common. They use the Outmatch tool. And um, that alone for Outmatch is, uh, in my opinion, um, you know, just an, an amazing opportunity to pour your energy into the client in a different way. And um, not every company uh, invites their clients to an annual conference uh, where they basically say, thank you, and here's some more things you can get out of this tool that are really gonna help you, uh, you know, nurture your talent and um, grow your business successfully. Um, that's a huge investment in your clients. And so it's not necessarily a number. You might see a number from them later. Um, it's not immediate, but over time, the ROI definitely shows up because, you know, getting your, your, your people together with other people that they can network and learn more from, not just about app match, but HR trends and, um, um, you know, what's current in the industry, these people wind up going home and forming new relationships with other professionals. So um, the ROI is just, to me, it's invisible. Um, it's, it's just not measurable, but the energy's there. You know, the energy's in a room. When you see somebody, you feel their energy. If they're in a bad mood, um, the energy's there. You know, it's invisible, but you feel it and your clients feel that, and that's the ROI. Do you have clients who uh, <clears throat> want <throat> to put a number on it that say, Julie, I'm, I'm glad you want to help us with, with experiential ROI, but I also, you know, I, I, I require financial ROI. Do you have clients mm -hmm. that, that push you for that or, or actually practice that? You know, Jason, um, it's funny that you mentioned that. I have never had anybody ask me for that. Oh, yeah. um, and I don't know if in, if internally they do something sure. as far as tracking, sure. <clears throat> but I've never had anybody uh, ask me for that um, because I personally truly believe it is an energy thing over financial and you're gonna see that return later. Yeah. Um, it's not instant. So how do you, how do you measure that over, five years, you right. know, right. Um, but no, I haven't had that in, it'd be interesting to know if there's companies out there that actually can track the ROI on a conference like that. Yeah. That, you know, that would of, be good to know. Yeah. One of the, one of the things that we uh, do is try to look at, you know, 
upsell, for example, of, of clients who would attend a conference mm -hmm. or look at it as I, I have a friend who, who calls them customer collision moments, you know, where you, <laughs> where you get together with your customer and you have a meaningful experience that results in, in, um, in revenue. So, you know, if we have a customer who's looking to sign a contract and they would come to that event, that's a perfect opportunity for us to, to, you know, work with them one-on-one -on -one, face to face, not sure. a telephone kind of thing to, to work on a contract. So we'll, we'll try to, we'll measure ROI in that way, but definitely, I mean, in all my years of traveling to conferences and, and putting on meetings, there is, I agree with you, there is that visceral, did these people have a good time? Will they come back? Was that an experience that represented the brand? Those right. are the intangible questions I ask in my head about about putting on meetings like that. So I, I, I recognize yeah. your, 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 um, what I, what I will just start calling invisible ROI, right? The, the invisible so hand you'll, ROI. You'll have to share with me now that we're getting closer. Um, you'll have to share with me how you guys major measure your ROI. And you know, that way I can help you on my end. If yeah. I understand better, if you guys are putting some numbers to it, um, it'll help me think differently about yeah. your programming. That's great. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's great. Let's, uh, let's do that offline because I want to, I want to move to a little bit about talent. You know, we were, I asked you a question before um, just about how you got into the business and, and um, you were using the word our to describe your business. So tell me who the our is in <laughs> at, at meeting news, right? Tell me about yeah. employees and the people you work with and contractors and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm a third party uh, planner and um, an independent planner uh, for the most part. It with meeting and event planning, um, it's feast or famine and um, the margins are low in meeting and event planning. Um, so it's extremely difficult to keep full-time people on um, unless, you know, I've got a client that's going to sign a five-year contract with me. Um, I know I'm pretty safe to hire an employee at that point. So, so and, wait, real quick, if I can interrupt. Mm -hmm. um, you have some clients who contract with you long term for uh, the same event year after year, or is it mm -hmm. how, how does that mm -hmm. how does that long term contract mm -hmm. work? Um, well, basically, um, you know, we set up. Uh, it's usually five is an exaggeration, I'll say, but three it would be more like it. There are some companies that already have their um, budget set out for that long term and they know what they want to accomplish each year. Mm -hmm. So they wind up, you know, let's set our hotels up for three years. And um, you just, you have stronger negotiation power um, to be able to sign a hotel contract for three years versus one, um, you know, and as, you know, and also with everybody else, I'm hiring on the client's behalf. Hey, this is a three-year deal. If you want to have the guaranteed calendar date, let's do this. But, you know, let's negotiate a little bit. It helps the client. It helps all of us in the industry to stay busy. Okay, cool. So, yeah, so thank you for that. And so now let's go back to, um, I, I think you were saying, you know, because you're a third-party planner, it's hard to keep... Uh, full-time employees. So let's, let's get back into that conversation. You know, what does talent look like for meeting muse? 
Yeah, so my talent is basically, um, I have some very regular contractors that I hire. So out there in the meeting and event planning world, there'll be very big meeting and event planning companies that several people use. Um, it's even rare for them to have full-time employees on. Their planners are usually contractors. So a contractor yeah. might be loyal to one big meeting planning house but they're still a contractor. That company's not going to guarantee that person full-time employment because it's feast or famine. Yeah, sure. um, <clears throat> so I operate the same way. Um, I think the PR uh, world kind of operates the mm -hmm. same way. Any service-based industry, um, and especially because I'm a boutique planner. Um, so my talent is I'm contractors. Gonna you. I'm going to interrupt you again. Yep. Sorry. What, mm -hmm. is, what does boutique planner mean? Boutique planners just we our focus is more on mid, small to mid-size events. Got it. Um, you know, I have the ability to do something much bigger, um, but it would just require me, you know, contracting more people and yeah. getting okay. it done. Okay. Um, I'll but stop. my focus is small to mid-size. Okay, great. I'll, I'll stop interrupting. So. <laughs> So, Jason, so, go, go ahead on the contracting <laughs> side of things. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, I have a great talent pool and you know, this is where I serve my clients the best. I am constantly networking, constantly meeting new people, um, new venues, new vendors, new contractors that plan events. And, um, I've got this arsenal of people that I can pull in. Um, that know how to work with me and know me as a person. And, um, and you know, that's how I pull my talent in. So really, um, you know, the, a contractor is going to be pretty flexible um, and uh, grateful to be working with you. There's the contractors that just are machines, you know, at task management and just getting things done. And what I generally do is lead those teams of people when we're on a project. Um, so um, I've done my 10,000 hours, if you will, um, of uh, meeting and event planning, and I have my internal red flags built up. And what I really um, like to do is manage those people that are still kind of perfecting their skill, but mm -hmm. really good, but be able to oversee what they're doing and collaborate with them what if we did this or what if this happens and just make sure we're all safe and in our programs tight. Yeah. Um, so how does but, that, how does that work it in an event? So you've got, so you've, you know, you've done, like you said, you've done your 10,000 hours, right? You've, you've, mm -hmm. you've played all the gigs uh, before you were famous. And then some. Right. You played all the gigs before you were famous. And so, right. So then you're, <laughs> you're hiring contractors who are, you know, maybe on their 8,000th hour or something like that. You know, um, what do you look for in a, a contractor like that? And then my follow up to that would be how, how do you let them grow in their job? You know, if you're constantly, your antenna are up, your street smarts right. are up for, you know, what do I need to do in the moment? You know, how do you choose them and then how do you let them go do what they need to do? Yeah, I, that has definitely been um, a muscle I've been flexing in the last few years and I've really enjoyed the leadership part of it. Um, 
I'm not going to lie, was definitely the type A type uh, back in the day, but realized, you know, there's no growth there. <laughs> you got to let go. Um, <clears throat> excuse I very, me. <laughs> I could very easily rename the podcast the interviews of type A people, right? So they, <laughs> right. Everybody, everybody I've interviewed so far is similar in that respect. So I, you know, it's not, not something you have right. to be an apologist for. No, and I don't. I mean, that's all part of learning, right? And if we're not learning every day, it's just, anyway, I won't go down that road. I agree, but, I agree. Um, the way, yeah, what I do, Jason, and, um, you know, I am very selective with who I do pick to come on with me. And if I can't find that person, I'll wind up planning the event myself. And I have done that once or twice just because um, a client's book last minute and I don't have the talent to pull from, I put myself on the project because I just need to know um, who I'm working with. And um, if I'm gonna be experimenting with someone new, it might be a project where I've got, um, you know, three contractors and I'll put that third contractor that I haven't worked with yet on the, least important piece of the program mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that you know i can monitor that let that person grow with me um but also in areas that they can fail if they do i'm there to help them um but also again you know we do monthly uh meetings you know and then go into it weekly once we're ready to really hit the ground running with the program and that's usually three months prior three to four months prior um, we'll have weekly meetings. And those are those times where we talk about things like that. Like um, <clears throat> I've got a new contractor and, you know, they're on um, the registration setup, say, and, you know, I go through the registration database and, hey, I see that if they click here, it does this, but it doesn't do that. Um, what do you think we should do? And I'll let them answer, of course. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, sometimes I'll let them do it their way to see that it does not work perfectly, knowing it's not going to work perfectly, but it's still okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's hard to sometimes do those things um, because in the meeting and event planning world, everything really does need to be perfect. But what's more important is that I continue to mentor people that are out there um, in the industry and help them grow as well. And so um, it's what I choose to do. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. I, it's what's, what's so interesting is the... how. I guess this should be a question really rather than my statement, but how do you, I think you explained this uh, a bit, but the, the notion that everything has to be perfect, but I also have to be available to let my staff do it themselves and potentially fail at something. You know, mm -hmm. when is that, when does that switch from that attitude to, oh, we're going down this road and it's like a critical failure and I got to take over? How do you know in your business or how do you know personally when it's time for that? When it's time for oh, this person cannot, we cannot let this part of the meeting be a failure or the of the planning be a failure and then you switch to take over kind of thing. Mm hmm well, I think everything's choice and consequence and whether your consequence is good or bad, 
um, I guess because of my 10,000 hours plus, I really know what can happen. And if it's a minor thing, it's going to be minor and that person's going to learn. Um, but if it is a major thing that has major consequence, that's where I will get involved and um, take over the leadership of it. I can also tell, you know, when people feel not so confident about, confident about what they're doing, you can hear it in their voice. Mm -hmm. um, they might not uh, respond to emails um, as quick as they usually do because maybe they're thinking about it. I don't know. There's just some intuitive things about it. Um, and this is where the street smart comes in, I think. Mm -hmm. um, intuition um, is strong here <laughs> for me. And um, I just really rely on my intuition. Boy, there's some things that I haven't in the past, and it's just bitten me in the butt. Um, so my intuition always tells me when I should take over. Yeah. And I don't know if that's, you know, it's just, it's worked. It's yeah. worked and I'm not going to book it. <laughs> well, you know, that that's great. And I, but I think, you know, I think when people describe intuition and, you know, my memory of, of reading the, the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours, like <laughs> intuition isn't an innate thing. Intuition's a thing that you have because you've, you've done this for 10,000 hours, right? right? That's it's, right. It's, there's experience. There's a, it's a very complex web of things that help you make a decision. But what you're, you know, what I hear you talking about is contractors choosing the right contractors is really about building a relationship. It's really about um, having those street smarts to say, you know, this person, I'm a good judge of character. I think this person can do the job. I see where their strengths are, you know, whether or not, you know, it, my guess is you're analyzing this, um, subconsciously or consciously, you mm -hmm. may be keeping notes mm -hmm. and things like that. And, and so, you know, so it, it probably isn't as loose as it may feel when you describe it. Um, yeah, you know, there's probably more science to it, but that's a really great example of, of hiring contractors. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. Let's go, let's go back to just you as a, as a business manager, what's, what's a day in the life like for you? <laughs> um, my day in a life, um, the event planning industry is, is crazy and it's each day is really not the same. Um, sometimes I really crave routine <laughs> because I really can't have it. Um, you know, sometimes I just wish like, gosh, I wish I could just wake up every day and do the same thing. Um, but I know that time, would drive time, me crazy. Time to make the donuts, right? Yeah, exactly. But you know, that only goes so far and you know, day in the life, uh, different, you know, um, but usually a day in the life involves, um, uh, <clears throat> some type of uh, conversation with a vendor, client, um, contractor, um, keeping things moving really is the day in the life of, of what I do specifically. Um, I can be, um, you know, flying uh, to Sonoma for a site inspection, but while I'm in the airport, I'm taking a conference call with whoever to keep things moving. Um, you know, get on the plane, get my Wi-Fi going and keep things moving there. Um, get off my plane, get a rental car, you know, go to my destination, 
meet with vendors in the specific area, get you know some things together for a client um, that's waiting to get some costing done on a program. Um, so uh, my day in a life is really juggling a lot of balls mm -hmm. in um, different locations for sure. Um, and keeping things moving is really my day. Um, you know, back when I was a doer, it was definitely sitting at my computer the majority of the day, just, you know, belting things out and then going on site. But nowadays it's just more of that, um, more leadership and visionary on programs. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd like to say I could start my day with a routine, but it's so crazy because I'm on a flight or I'm on, you know, a call and, you know, with different time zones and no day, no day is the same yeah. in what I do. And anybody in my industry could say that pretty much too. Yeah. It's, it's not the same any day, even if you're the doer sitting at the desk, every day is different. Always, there's, a, there's always something, something that happens. And I'm, and I'm sure because it's a, it's a people focused business, right? You're, you're not dealing yeah. with a, with a machine that has a process. You're dealing, you're dealing with people who have emotions and thoughts. And so that's one of the mm -hmm. reasons that drives, drives the, the difference in the days. And I know you're not looking for a lot of sympathy, but you're not going to find it when you describe your day in the life as hopping on an airplane to go to Sonoma, right? <laughs> you're not getting a lot of, people are not well, crying a lot of tears. <laughs> I mean, I know it. It's so funny. And Jason, there's so many like younger people that come to me and they want to be event planners. Right. And, you know, I always get, you know, their parents or their aunt and uncle, hey, can you talk to Susie about being an event planner? And immediately, you know, how come you want to be an event planner? Well, because it just looks so fun. <laughs> yeah. And it really does. But man, when you're on a flight and you go to Sonoma and you can't like be on vacation, right. that kind of sucks too. <laughs> right. So I'm just going to give you a different perspective that like, you know, going out to Sonoma, you're being entertained and, you know, everyone wants to get your business. So they want to take you to the wineries and right. But like, I can't sit there and drink. I got a job to do and I got to take notes and, um, you know, have a report back for my clients. So yeah. I am not on vacation when, um, you know, I'm on those site inspections. And that's the funny thing is sometimes clients, you know, I'll have in my um, cost projections a site inspection fee and they're like, oh, you charge for that? I'm like, <laughs> it's my time. Yeah, yeah it's my job. <laughs> now, <laughs> If I can go on vacation, I won't charge you for that. But um, it's a lot of work, those site inspections there. Um, you know, and over the years, I've been by myself on them. And nothing is more sad than being somewhere romantic when you're doing a site inspection for like an incentive trip in Cabo or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Cancun or something. And you're all by yourself. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. So I'm just going to de-gloritize that whole picture for you right there okay buddy <laughs> well, sounds good sounds good it's like when when uh you know people hear about business travel and think it's glamorous and then you're like yeah well Ugh. you know the the airport the airport food the exhaustion yeah the taxis the you know so anyway yeah i get it just so, everything yeah mm -hmm. so so as a as a business manager i two um questions 
before we before we really close up. So one thing I'm interested in are some of the biggest changes you've seen really not in the industry, not in the event planning industry, but in your business um, since when you started your business to to today. What are some of those big changes that you've seen? Wow, you know, Jason, um, I just did some work with um, a group um, about how much technology has changed my business and um, the future of face-to-face meeting face to face mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and what that's going to look like in the future. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing to grab hold of right now for anybody in my industry is um, this has traditionally been a everybody come together in one place physically and meet and share experiences and um, learn and technology is going to change this and um, what's really important for my industry survival is for people to embrace technology and stop bucking it i want people to meet in person that's never going to change for me because i get energy from other people um and it makes a difference for me when i meet face to face Um, but the world is changing so much. You and I are in two different cities and we're having this chat and we're Mm -hmm. recording your podcast and, um, it's just the way of the future. And so, um, I don't know what's coming down the pipe. Um, I do know technologies change the way we, um, do registration, um, for events, um, big time. Apps are wonderful. Um, it's so great to get rid of this paper mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that you know bogs us down. Um, the apps have been just amazing um, for some of the events that we're doing, um, and um, also just you know everything else, the beacon technology and um, you know scanning where people are, you know, with the uh, you know um, different type of name badges that can mm-hmm. kind of be detected mm-hmm. electronically mm-hmm. and see where Susie Jones is. Is she in the breakout session or is she um, somewhere else on property? And um, it's, it's really going to change the way we think to do. So I just did, um, I said, I did a, um, an event with a group. Um, basically they experimented with a, um, gigantic screen led screen in the room and um basically had about 12 um pictures and pictures Mm -hmm. and um Mm -hmm. all their breakouts were being projected on this one gigantic screen and people that didn't know what breakout they wanted to go to could sit down in front of the screen and select the channel that they wanted to listen to in their earphones they just download an app on their phone and um, bam, they're listening to a different breakout Ooh. and just sitting in one seat. They yeah. might go, oh, I'm not interested in that content and jump to channel five mm-hmm. and watch that on the big screen. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's very So cool. it's like this one room with this big screen with all the breakouts going on in the convention center, but you have this option to go sit and watch all of them at once if you want. Yeah, that's really, um, that's that really, was a big deal. Yeah, that is a, that is a, that's a big <laughs> you know? change. It's a big change. So um, that was really interesting. And um, 
uh, it was eye-opening to me for sure because that might be the future of meetings. You know? Um, yeah, no, I, I think I think you're right. And there's still a benefit of being face to face for networking and colleagues, but mm -hmm. you're stuck in the middle of a row in a breakout room and <clears throat> it's the content's not for you. There's it's hard to duck people, out. Right. It's very difficult to to excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, mm -hmm. excuse me. Cause you know, yeah. Cause that. Yeah. So um all right, we just we just have a few more four minutes and I have, you know, about thirty questions that I'd <laughs> love to keep asking. <laughs> I can call you whenever and have these. Can I, have these? <laughs> um, I, I think what I'd like to what I'd like to do is just get some advice that you'd give to people um, who are starting their careers. You know, not not starting their careers in event planning, sure, but just starting their careers in general. You know, that moment where you realize you, you need a job, you're going to get a job. Like now, what's your advice to people in that in that situation? Mm. You know, that's funny because I have two young adults that are in that situation right now. <laughs> and um, <laughs> as a mom, they're like, oh, please. But <laughs> really um, putting yourself out there, uh, you've got to get over this fear of rejection. And it's the hardest thing to do when you're young. Um, but you know, getting over rejection and just really putting your energy out there. Um, you reap what you sow when you put your energy out there. And um, if you don't, if you don't put yourself out there, you aren't going to get anything in return. And it's so important to just keep muscling through and finding where you belong and finding your niche. And, you know, when you do go somewhere, give it your all. Um, you know, it's not about, um, for, you know, to, to create a good culture and be in a good culture. It's not about all the special little snacks and amenities in the kitchen. It's actually who your leader is. And, and leadership is going to be the most important thing to look for in a job. Um, who's going to lead you and mentor you and help you grow and love you up? And um, I think that would be the most important thing to give advice to anybody, you know, like my own kids yeah. um, is just look for somewhere where you can grow, whether it be um, totally outside of what you, you know, studied in school, um, find someone that'll help you grow. And that someone will always be so important to you in your life uh, as you move on and find your way oh that's an excellent place to to leave it excellent advice and an excellent place to end so julie thank you so much for the for the time and um it'll be great to see you again when we do but uh, i really appreciate the conversation thanks so much oh i appreciate you jason thank you i enjoyed it hey thanks for listening to the talent playbook podcast with our guest julie nelson to learn more about Julie's business, you can visit meetingmuse.com. You know, you can also listen to other episodes of the Talent Playbook podcast by going to outmatch.com. Click the About menu, and you'll see the podcast listed there. So I'd also like to thank our producer and engineer, Charles Summers. Always a big help when it comes to recording the podcast. 
And until next time, this is Jason Ferrara saying thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>